Hi, I'm Catherine Knuth. Um, Robert Knuth is my husband. He's one of the pastoral interns here, and we're um, part of the Plaza Midwood community group. But, yeah. um, but our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Word of the Lord. Good morning. Glad to be back. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. If you didn't know, now you know. I'm going to stop right there. Um, and um, yeah, I've been gone for a month, taking some time off, and I appreciate it. Um, I would like to thank especially the staff, elders, deacons, leaders, um, for just holding it down and appreciate y'all a lot. And I was really able to rest because of who you are, right? So um, thank you so much. And um, what we're going to do is um, I'm going to preach from Isaiah today as your passage, uh, your reading uh, tells us. But um, we're going to start a sermon series on the mission of Christ Central Church. Um, so sort of a vision and mission sermon series. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you see our mission statement there um, about freeing people um, to enjoy God, hear his truth, form authentic relationships. Um, did I say it all? And face real world with the re renewed dignity that comes from Christ. Um, did I miss something? Okay, good. Um, it's been 14 years since we wrote that thing. Um, but I think it's important that we kind of hear from scripture why we're called to be and participate in that kind of mission statement. And so we're going to go through that beginning next week. Um, so let this be somewhat of a prepper for you as we look at Isaiah 61. So um, it's about a week after the new year and two weeks after Christmas now and a little three weeks after Christmas and yeah, um, and a little over a month after Thanksgiving, don't let the tree and decorations that you and I have yet to take down fool you, right? The holiday season is officially over. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year have catapulted you and me into 2018 and what I would describe as the official season of digging out and digging in, right? Digging out from all the new debt and exhaustion, from the extra holiday, energy-driven, cheerful spending and overspending and giving and working and driving and overeating and drinking, and now time to dig out as well, right? To, to dig in, rather, as well, right? To fulfill the resolutions, the promises to others and yourself and your world you made officially or subconsciously. And I'm not going to make, make fun of or dog your resolutions. I mean, our resolutions 
Because as creatures, as human beings made in the image and likeness of God, you and I get what's going on in this passage. You see, resolutions are nothing short of promises and edicts or declarations, plans. And we see throughout the Bible a God who deals out and deals with people throughout this whole book here, right, who deals with people um, through promises, through his words being given oftentimes ahead of time, asking us to have faith that he will do what he has promised and said, to trust his resolutions. And like our, like our own resolutions, God's promises, God's words, God's resolutions like our own are often against all odds. All the odds facing you and me against the world kind of thinking, against the will, against the weight, right? Against the heaviness, against ingrained historic injustices, against the status quo, against deep-seated mind trips and heart issues and motivation problems. Resolutions against and in a fallen and broken world of people and institutions and circumstances, you and I know, uh, know all about the against all odds resolutions, especially this time of year. Some of your resolutions are against all the odds of you having never done any of what you're thinking you're going to do in your whole life, but you're going to do it this year, Right? So while we are in this resolute mind and focus, some of you are already doing pretty well and still very happy about your resolutions. Let me tell you what God's resolution from this 3,000-year-old passage is declaring. First, God's new, new year resolution, I'm going to call it. Is it New Year's or New Year resolution? Which one is it? Anybody know? Ears with the S on it? Okay. All right. First... God's New Year's resolution is for you. Secondly, God's New Year's resolution is about him. And finally, God's New Year's resolution is always good for you, about him, always good. So as most of you know, a good resolution doesn't actually begin with the plan to fix what's wrong, but to first diagnose what's wrong well, right? To know what your problem is, to, to know how bad it is, to, to stand on the scale, to look at the budget and the bills, to see how many credit hours and costs for that new degree you're going to pursue, to see how much you have to save to get that house or that car, whatever it is. And God's resolution is for you, for you and me to see ourselves so that we can then be submitted to his plan and promises for a new and better you and me. So let's look at how you and I are described and diagnosed by this passage. And though this description comes originally from the context of a war-torn, enslaved, and exiled people, it still applies well for us right here in the good old USA. Look at who this New Year's resolution from God is for. Verse 1 says, for the poor and brokenhearted, and then the captives and those who are bound. And then in verse 2 and 3, those who mourn. God is resolving to be the one in your life who you can trust to 
show you yourself, right? First of all, before we get into all the rest of the stuff here. He's actually resolving to give you the ability to see where you need change, where you need help, where you need hope, in ways you may not have known or seen before. To see that you and I are poor, as verse 1 says. Now, let me explain to you, this poor is more than your bank account. This poor is poor regardless of how much money we make. This is poor as in not having what it takes to change your life around, not having or being enough inside. It's, it's being stuck in a world where nothing can truly satisfy or quench that thirst you have for wholeness. This poor is about never being full or full enough. This poor is about being in a world that will never be able to give you enough and will work to exploit and take from you in your desperation as a person, whatever and however that may be. I heard, I heard my brother use this description in a sermon last week when I heard him preach. This poor is about being thirsty. Yeah, the Urban Dictionary version of thirsty. Desperate for relationship and money and hope and attention and being an easy take, easy target. Like poor folk are in our society. But it applies to everybody. Which leads us to the next diagnosis of who we are as human beings that we can see. We are brokenhearted, the passage says. Something about being thirsty and desperate, never being satisfied by anything in the world, always disappointed, always let down. Like you think this is it. This is a year for this. This relationship will do this. This thing I've been longing for is going to fix it. Of finally realizing how poor you are is something about that that just breaks you. That just takes your core dignity and sense of worth away. Brokenhearted means, it just makes your heart thirsty. And then how do the young people say it? You just become wide open. Brokenhearted means you have no defenses left emotionally or spiritually. You are broken down. And in that state, it is easy to then become, as our passage says next, captives. As in taken. As in captivated. Poor. Thirsty, and with your defenses down, now there's no, no rule in your life except for your thirst for something more, for relief from pain. And here comes the captivity, right? And it always comes the same way. Some kind of powerful lie, right? It, pretending to be the truth. Some kind of empty promise. Some kind of commercial that comes on in the middle of the day. Right now, you can make millions staying at home and getting up at three in the afternoon, right? Three hours a day, you can be rich just like me, right? Captivity, right, comes and, and woos you, right? A, a trick, an exploitative hope, a, a fake prescription for your pain. Captivity takes on different forms. And in this passage, back then, it was the armies coming and taking people from their homes and, 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 and t taking them away and taking them so they can't return back home. Our world is filled, as you know with powers, things more powerful. Hear me, I don't, I don't care how powerful or how wealthy or how competent you think you are or how on top of the game, or your game you think you are. There are things in this world more powerful and wealthy than your poor defenseless hearts can handle. 
and you will be taken. Some of us are captivated by relationships and sex and power and control and romance and beauty and being fit and loving attention and being liked by everyone and capitalism, and innovation and technology and religion and fashion and being financially secure, easily taken by those things. Some of them good, but now they become your captive, captor because we are unsatisfied and afraid of what we are. And what the world has given and taken has left us broken and empty-hearted, and we are hungry, y'all. We are, as Isaiah says, and happens next, bound, the Scripture says, imprisoned. Do you see the way it just follows suit all the way down? Some interpretations of bound or imprisoned of this, in this verse say we get into a dark place is another term for prison here. And we can't find our way out. Some of us, since the movie Get Out came out, right, have adopted the phrase, the sunken place. (laughs) This is the place of addiction. This is the place of loss of control. This is the place of being in debt and being trapped and beat by injustices bigger than you. Some that may not be your fault, but you were captured and now you're stuck. Maybe because you're a woman. Maybe because you're in a certain ethnic group. Maybe. This is bondage. This is bondage to a relationship that captivated you. And now you can't get out of it. This is bondage to a way of eating that you thought soothed you. Now you are trapped in a body or with unhealthy numbers, or you're trapped or addicted to being healthy and fit and can't get out. Some of us are in bondage to work and success and holding it down and being beautiful, and some of our marriages and relationships with our children are in bondage to all sorts of things. Some of us is sexual sins and pornography, and for some of us, being entertained. You can't turn off the game. I know I can't turn off. It's so hard. At the stoplight, I'm playing games on my phone. I'm a gamer, right? I'm trapped in the game. There's got to be a movie about that, Tron or something. Anyway. Can't turn off the smartphone. Can't turn off the TV. You're trapped, right? We can't see a way out. We are in darkness, trapped looking at a black mirror where we can no longer see or recognize or know who and how we are supposed to be. And we eventually take our resolution away. (laughs) And as verses 2 and 3 talk about, it will leave you mourning. You know what mourning is? Despairing over life. Despairing over your life, seeing yourself in this world and hope for it and you in it as dead, right? Th- though you're living on this side, you're trapped, captivated, too broken, too poor to see any hope. Hope and help for the most part is dead, and you and I are in this cycle of coming back to the same place. Some kind, it's, like a, it's like a resolution funeral. You know, I, I mean, I do this every year. Well, there comes that time when you just put your funeral, you put your resolution to rest, right? I tried. I'm going to eat this anyway. You're dead, Right? And after all of that, all of that bad news about you, do you realize it is still God's good resolution to you and me to finally see ourselves truly? You know why? 
Because it's important that we see ourselves so that we can submit ourselves for his help. Look at verse 1. God is sending, the Bible says, good news. And it says he's proclaiming liberty and freedom and bringing vengeance to those who, who were made captive, captive and broken by the world. And bind, he's going to bind and, and bring bandaging and changing a funeral mourning into a joyful party of victory. Get this, though. It is for those who hear and receive it as poor. This passage is not for those who have it together. This passage is not for those who, who, who are already prosperous and looking to be more prosperous, right? It is given to those who hear and receive it as poor, as those who admit they're brokenhearted, as those who are captive and bound and mourning and without hope. God's resolution is about seeing yourself and then submitting, resigning, giving yourself up, going ahead and saying, yeah, that sounds like me. That looks like me. That looks like my heart. That looks like my head. That looks like my life. That looks like my actions, my fears, and my world. To say, yes, Lord, I submit that that is me so that I can now submit my hopes and my brokenness and my poverty to your promise of good resolution. Amen. See, there is no other way around this. You know what God is offering here, especially to this depressed people back then in Isaiah? Welfare. Did you know welfare is a biblical word? Sometimes it says Mercy. But the translation for mercy is welfare, right? Under God's good, gracious, top-heavy government. <laughs> welfare. Not the kind of we kind we have in a world that can be exploitative. Not, we're not talking about that. Welfare, which is God's grace and mercy for those who can go ahead, hear me now, and, and admit and submit to his divine diagnosis of our brokenness. You've got to actually humble yourself and fill out that paperwork, right? Because the benefits of God's welfare, if you want to make it easier, welfare, W-E-2-L's, that's fair, right? It's God's good favor. It resists the proud. Scripture says throughout that God's grace, it resists proud people. It is only heard and fully received by those who qualify as broken sinners. God has, only made, God has made only broken people qualify for his favor and welfare of grace. Which brings us to this. God's resolution is about him. It's about him. About his word and his work. Look back at this passage again. And as I read it, I'll, I'll emphasize the words I think we need to hear as we go through. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
me. Not you, right? The me is not us. Good news, the me is the him, right? Who is called the anointed one in verse 1. Do you know what anointed means? It means marked, right? Me is the marked one. And the marked one is the one marked by the Spirit of God being on him. He is marked with God's Spirit. Just so we, we can get over this and get through this, who the marked one is, Jesus, a thousand years ago or so after this was written, 2,000 years ago or so, a thousand years after this was written, when he lived on earth, he stood up, right? They were, had this as a scripture reading in synagogue that day. Hey, Jesus, hey, Joseph's boy, Joe's boy, you want to read the scripture? Sure, I'd love to. I'm a good Jew, right? I'm going to read the scripture. Gets up, puts a little head thing on to read the scripture, starts reading, right? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Y'all, it's being fulfilled right now. It's me, right? If you were like, you crazy, man, we're going to kill you, right? They didn't play back then. He didn't die, though. He has some things to do. But he, y'all, in this passage was about Jesus. The one marked, the marked one of God, marked by God's very spirit with the spirit of God to do all that is said here. But before we get too deep into that, what I want you to see is that even Jesus, God coming to flesh, said that he came to say what? The good news, to give the words and do the work of God's resolution when he was at earth. God's resolution is about his word and promises and his work and not ours. Again, I hate to hate on y'all's resolutions, but God's word is different because it's divine. That's a big difference. I thought about it. Divine versus human, that's a huge difference. Because it means this. When God says it, the Bible teaches us, it is in a divine kind of circular way. We're like the movie Arrival. Man, I love that movie. Um, where the aliens communicated in circles of past, present, and future all in one instead of a linear thought sentence. Right? Y'all get that? Okay. So God is so powerful and true, got to watch the movie, sorry, and then call me, we can talk about it. Okay, God is so powerful and true, whatever he promises or says is coming. It is already in motion because it is God saying it. It just hasn't arrived fully yet. Okay, it's like the Amazon notice you get. Your package is shipped, right? And therefore, it will be and is true now. Now, let me explain prophecies for a minute in scriptures. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick lesson on prophecies. I like to describe a prophecy like you get in Isaiah or Daniel or Revelation, like an onion, right? One onion has many layers. And you peel off one layer, what is that first layer? An onion, Right? Peel off the second layer, what is it? An onion. What layer are you at? You don't know. Right? So when God says a prophecy, when he says something's going to happen, it is already happening, but there's many layers of the same thing coming until one day, one point, you get to that last layer. 
You just don't know what it is. God's word is like an onion, right? It makes you cry sometimes, yeah? I made that up as I went. Now, that's some kind of resolution. I mean, I don't read God's word or look at what he says. I hate to admit this, y'all. Nearly as much as I meditate on what I'm thinking about myself and others and what others are thinking about me and the world and what this media person or rich person who made it or leader is saying. But you know, I thought about it. It would behoove me to listen to the Lord sometimes. To just peek in and listen up to what he might be saying about me and all those equally broke down and trapped and captivated and captivating people that I listen to, right? It might be the best resolution for thirsty people like you and me to listen when God is speaking and doing at places like community group and Bible studies and church. And being with people who are sharing what he is saying and believing what he is saying. Not just because it is a good investment or advice or life-guiding advice alone, because God doesn't stop there. Because the God who gives us his word is the me, capital M, me, who also does the work of the resolution. Okay, so it's one thing to just get the word, right? Look, I went in, um, what was that store? Barnes & Noble the other day, okay? I was waiting to have... Lunch with Mike Moore. He never showed up. Um, <laughs> Mike, you, anyway, I had to eat by myself. Um, so, D, why are you laughing? You didn't show up either to your appointment. Um, they don't want to hear God's word. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't want to hear. Anyway, so um, I was full, too, with some spiritual things. Um, so I ended up going to Barnes & Noble trying to find a Bible or something to read. And um, anyway, you go in there now on the right, when you go in, what do you see? Exercise books, right? I'm so glad God's Word is not an exercise book because we'd all go to hell, right? (laughs) We'd go to heaven and be like, how many, how far did you get the exercise book? Well, God, you know, the game was on, right? You know? Hey, Lord, I I didn't get that far in the exercise book. No, the Bible is not just an exercise book. It's a book of what God has done for you. So a lot of people, right, going on, right, talking in our world, especially the way social media works, I get tired of talk sometimes. I get tired of hearing myself talk about what I'm going to do and be and try to do, and even in my head talking. I talk a lot. I'm even talking in my head. Sometimes it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Y'all too, right? Even on TV, everybody talking and prognosticating, and all the while I'm still brokenhearted and thirsty and empty and sad and sorrowful and struggling towards nothingness. So look at what God's resolution, God's word says will happen and God will do. It says God's anointed in verse 1. God's marked man is going to, verse 1, bind the brokenhearted. That means pull your sense of core worth and dignity and defenses back up and back together. He is going to open the prison. We don't use um, this word a lot, especially as middle class, arrived, wealthy people in here, but he is going to 
Deliver us. The word there is not just about opening a door, undoing handcuffs, but it also means bringing you into the light, opening your eyes, right, from being blind, healing your entrapped darkness. And then he will, in verse 2, get vengeance for us. We don't use that word a lot unless it's on one of them action movies, right? That, That means... All of those forces and powers seen and unseen, hear me now, that have been unjust and exploitative of your fallen, thirsty, hungry condition, he will actually seek and destroy that stuff. And then he will take the sorrow and sadness and death in our lives, the loss of hope, the despair we've resigned to live in, and give us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Now, people would wash and put oil on their, not wash and not put oil on their skins when they're mourning for how bad things are. They would actually become and be the product of sin and brokenness outside and how they looked and lived things out. What is God going to do? He's going to give us new worth, new dignity, a new way and reason and get this ability to live in this fallen world. And then final verse three, he will plant us as oaks of righteousness, right? This verse is, you are the planting of the Lord's hands, right? That means he's not calling us again, the exercise book, right? He's not calling us to find our own righteousness or work out our own righteousness. This is not what the scripture's about. I'm sorry, y'all, if you've been thinking church is all about how to work it out. No, how to get to your own sense of righteousness, right? How to, I'm, I'm getting a new start in life. Yay. No, you're not gonna make it. This is, he, he, he is saying he's actually going to plant us in a place and standing of, a, of righteousness that will not leave us. Do you understand? And we won't lose. It is his work. No matter how bad things get around us or in us, Jesus will make us good and true and right. Look, y'all, I don't know about you. Imagine a resolution. I like this. Where the results are way beyond your ability or inability. You know, okay, so they get you with these books at Barnes and Noble. I stood there and looked at it, y'all. I did. I was like, one, uh, I get the six pack back. You know, I'm going to look just like that Navy SEAL on the front working out. <laughs> that the Navy SEAL workout, that was the one for me. <laughs> Howard Brown from Charleston. Start playing violin at age five. The Navy SEAL workout, that matches me. <laughs> And you look at the cover, and you're like, one day I'm going to look like that if I do the exercise in the book. You know what this is saying of being an oak of righteousness? Jesus has given you a picture of himself, and one day you will look like him, not because you did the exercise, but because he planted you as an oak of righteousness. That's Christianity. I want that. Where someone gives you or gifts you or hands you the results and you just are called to grow in it and live in it, as verse 3 says, be joyful and happy and praise and thank God and kind of live out gratefulness and faithfulness and joy for it. It doesn't seem fair that that's the way it works, right? They should put the Bible up there, right? <laughs> and because and, 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 people don't understand the Holy Bible, they, and just put the gospel right on that rack of books, right? And say, this is the one for all the lazy, broken, poor people. That's one for everybody. 
I want that one. Sometimes, right? Because I still want to do it my way. Doesn't seem fair. It isn't. Christians, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you about your Christian church friend. They are completely living life unfair. Right? They are getting God's good results through Christ's merit. Right? He's just being gracious to them. That's ridiculous. It's God's grace and favor. It's the real gospel. The real gospel of change and betterment is about us submitting and seeing our brokenness and the Lord giving us and coming through his God who can't fail in his results, giving his resolution to us. I want some of that, y'all. I want that kind of new year where I won't drop out and drop off as long as God's word and work doesn't drop out and drop off. And Jesus has been marked out to come in on my behalf and not drop out or drop the ball or drop me because I keep messing up. God's resolution is always good news because it is in his favor and for our good. Look at verse 2 again. To grant, okay, sorry, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So this is what Christ is coming as God's marked anointed man with the spirit on him. Now, some of you churchy people, I'm one of them, okay, I'm with y'all. Know how some Christians had lifted the phrase, I'm blessed and highly favored, Right? out of the scripture as a way to explain their wealth. I rarely see blessed and highly favored on a broke down jalopy car, right? Or, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous, right? It's become a mantra of some prosperity gospel, right? We attach it to all kinds of things. Favored, right? Or uh, declaring flavored or hashtag blessed to go along with it, right? I did some research on the word favor or favorable here. It's a little different, y'all, than the shoplifted American dream version. You know what the shoplifted American dream version is? God doing you favors. God's up there. I got the favor of the Lord. That means he's doing me favors, right, of, of God doing you or giving you superficially, personally, what you think is a favor, what is favorable to you, we're going to straighten this up so we can enjoy the real favorable year of the Lord and not the fake favorable year of the Lord that will simply make you poor, bondage, and sad again, right? The word favorable here means the good will and desire and plan of God coming and being said and being acted out. Do you get it? It is only a favorable year of the Lord when God's divine plan is in effect and happening in and to people like you and me as he sees fit. It's God's favor as in in favor of God, as in God's favorite way of doing things, the way he favors to work in your life, which is God's will and way. Here's how you can remember it. It's God's flavor, y'all. How he likes it. You can be blessed and highly flavored, right? <laughs> Instead of favored, just to get it right in your mind. That means you're growing and seasoned the way God likes you to be. 
That's why in verse 3 it ends with, so that God would be glorified. God's New Year's resolution for you and me is about him resolving to get glory, his beauty, his joy, his divine purposes in and through people who are sad and depressed and useless feeling and empty and thirsty and desperate and in bondage and beyond their ability to see themselves up, who have given up on life or given up believing that there's more to this life than just living and dying and just getting over and getting by, that he will get glory. And here's the good thing. It is his favorite thing to take people like that, me and you and bind our broken hearts. It is his favorite thing. You've heard the sound of music. This is the second time I've used this thing recently. I didn't even see it, y'all, over Christmas break. These are a few of God's favorite things to let us know that he is there and we are not alone. To take our broken hearts and hold us together to pull our divided and crushed pieces and mend our brokenness. And then to bring and be the light for our confusion and uncertainty and darkness and addictions and bad habits. And then one of his favorite things is to dress us up with worth and dignity and power and strength and joy and beauty. And that is how you stand as an oak of righteousness in Christ. Look at what makes a favorable year of the Lord. Let's look one more time at verse 2. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The year is good because the day of vengeance was favorable to God. Do you see that? It goes from year to day. The favorable day of vengeance of the Lord was the day the anointed man, the marked man, marked to die for our sins, died. And now we know that the day of vengeance is also the day that marked man comes back the second time. See, Jesus took all the things that were said against us, all the things in, in us set against his glory, and God took vengeance on him due to us and our world the day he died on the cross so that you and I can live in the favor of the Lord in the resolution of God's favorite year because Jesus favored going to the cross to be able to proclaim the good news and bring the good news to us and then be the good news. God desires marked him. God desired to mark him for our good by going to the cross and that he favored us and now favors our lives. In that the Lord's favor is where we really find our good. Look at verse 3. He says, I'm a grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Go through this one more time here. The picture of the oak. It's like when a place has been ravaged by, burn, by being burned and destroyed by war and brokenness. And God comes and he plants or replants a new life, right? A life planted by God's desire, will, favor, and resolution. That the tree represents someone whom the marked man Jesus has died for and who has received and believed God's report about themselves and whose sins and destiny have come into the favor of the Lord. 
The reason this is important, especially this resolution season, is that the oak tree, like any tree, will experience seasons and harsh times just like we were told by God that we will experience the effects of sin in our lives, poverty and captivity and brokenheartedness and bondage and sorrow, and we will go through ups and downs and get desperate and thirsty. But hear the good news. While every human attempt and resolution to rid ourselves of those things and give us comfort will ultimately fail, and as verse 3 says, and in sorrow, in an eventual, eventual funeral of life and failed resolutions, only God's favor towards us, only God's resolution in Jesus will take a life like ours that should end in death and sorrow and crown it with victory. Crowned, as verse 3 says, with a full, with full glorious human beings, experience them the fullness of what it means to be fully and wholly human in right relationship with God and with much joy. Though a lot of this won't be experienced until we pass away into eternity. You know what God's resolution is? That right now, you stand and begin standing in the year of God's favor because of Jesus' loving favor for you and me. This is God's resolution for you that's about him, and it's always good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You don't drop out. You don't drop off. You always follow through. Thank you, Lord, that your favor is good for us. I pray that you would convince those of us who may not believe we're poor, captive, bound, brokenhearted, convince us of our sorrow. Lord, so that we can submit to your grace. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.